The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. A black eye for big tech as the sector comes off its first losing month in six. But your next guest says don't count out Fang for much longer. Another hack attack, a developing story this morning as the world's biggest meat supplier becomes the latest victim of cyber criminals. Banning the booze, airlines backtracking on plans to resume in-flight alcohol sales amid reports of some rather rowdy travelers. Oil on alert ahead of a key OPEC meeting where RBC's Halima Croft says she is not taking anything for granted, especially when it comes to the Saudis and one for customers. How Costco is paving a path forward in warehouses all across the country. It is Tuesday, June 1st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us as we kick off this Holiday shortened trading week, and things are setting up very nicely to kick it off as well. Let's jump right in. Futures, they are solidly higher to begin the month of June. Dow futures up 185, NASDAQ up 52. Now, we've all got a lot of momentum already. The Dow is up six of the past seven months. The S&P 500 now up four months in a row, and futures look like it's going to kick off the month even for five. Now, outside of equities, not the same for crypto. It was another rough weekend. Remember, crypto trades all the time. And right now, most of the big coins are down once again. Ripple is higher. Bitcoin down about 2%. Ethereum and Litecoin are also down. Bitcoin nearly back below 36,000. Again, something to watch. Now, on the other side of that, we've got to check oil. It's been going in the other direction and is once again higher. Oil has been on fire this year. The XLE Energy ETF up six months in a row. That, my friends, its longest winning streak in 11 years. Crude oil is higher again right now. And a reminder, there is a pretty important OPEC meeting happening in a few hours. And it's important because Iran may start to press to put more oil on the market as well. We'll get more on that with Halima Croft in just a few minutes. But oil is up right now. All right, around the world, we're seeing a mixed trade in Asia. You had Japan slightly lower, but the Chinese markets higher. And in Europe, it was big gains across the board. If you are not paying attention, watch Europe. More new records for their indexes as well. Most of the major averages up nearly or more than 1%. COVID cases, cases crashing across the continent. German cases are down 95% for their highs of early January. All that despite a rather slow start to their vaccine rollout, but it is going strong right now and cases are indeed crashing. Good news. And the European markets are indeed responding. 
All right, there is so much more to do on this Tuesday. So let's now hit some of the other big headlines that are happening now. Contessa Brewer is here, and she joins us now with those. Contessa, good morning. Happy Tuesday, Brian. It sounds as though G7 finance ministers are ready to support plans for a global minimum corporate tax when they meet in London later this week. Reuters reports a draft memo contains a commitment to reaching a fair solution to allocate the rights to taxes, but no specific numbers offered. A U.S. proposal sets the minimum tax at 15 percent. That's a reduction from the previously pitched 21 percent. The World Health Organization is suggesting new names for COVID-19 variants use the Greek alphabet instead of their scientific names. WHO says those scientific monikers are difficult to say, they're difficult to remember and prone to misreporting. And then, of course, we all just start calling the variants by the places of origin, which officials call stigmatizing and discriminatory. The B117 variant that emerged from the UK will be called Alpha. Whereas the B1617, first detected in India, will be referred to as Delta. And Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger says it could take several years to resolve the global chip shortage. He was addressing the Computex trade show in Taipei and elaborated on some of the causes of the shortage. Gelsinger said the work and study from home trend during the COVID-19 pandemic led to a cycle of explosive growth in semiconductors that placed huge strain on global supply chains. So that explains, at least in part. Brian? Yeah, and those semiconductor shortages, I mean, if you're looking to buy a car, if you're looking to buy some electronics, Contessa, a lot of these things have multi-month waiting lists because of that semiconductor shortage. Yeah, it's not. so it's not just, you know, if you're buying a, a device like a computer or a cell phone and things like that, it's having its impact on anything that uses modern technology, which really is pretty much everything. Yeah, the last time I went to, you know, buy an actual semiconductor, which was never... I didn't have to wait at all because that would never happen. But all this, oh, I'd like one semiconductor, please, and a bag of chips, the other chips. Contessa Brewer, we'll see you back in a few minutes for trending. Thank you. Yeah. All right, back now to the market. Said it's looking like a very solid start to June. Futures, they are surging, and it's all coming off a pretty wild month for stocks. The Russell 2000, these smaller caps, in the middle of their longest monthly win streak, since September of 1995. Wow. Technology, though, continues to get knocked just a bit. The Nasdaq did snap a six-month win streak in May. Apple, Disney, Verizon all down for the month. But overall, a very solid run. The Dow is up six of the past seven months. And joining us now is Potomac Wealth Advisors President Mark Avalo. Mark, thanks very much for joining us. Do you remain optimistic? Absolutely, Brian. Of course, we're concerned valuations are a bit high, but th this song remains the same. It's it's Jerome Powell and the Fed. C can we call him Jerome Powerful? Because he is the one driving this, this stock market train. And as long as the Fed signals that it's not tightening, that it's not worried about inflation, and as long as Congress continues to spend, and they have plans with this infrastructure bill to spend, and corporations are responding with this reopen trade and capitalizing on it with strong earnings, why would this market continue to do anything other than what we've seen? I realize emotion is powerful and people see lofty levels. They see some higher prices. But look what happened last week. As soon as we had a mini, mini correction, 
Money flowed back in. And I think that's going to be the story for the summer. Well, if you like that, Mark, stay tuned later in the show for the for the morning RBI, because it has to do with the amount of cash that is still out there. And the number might might blow everybody's mind. I don't want to give too much away because I want them to stick around. It's called the deep tease in the business. We're just kind of waiting people to, for them to hang on. How much money do you think there really is still sitting out there waiting to be put to use somewhere? Well, th- those exact numbers are hard to find, but they're trillions, corporate balance sheets, personal money market funds, and all those people that were too smart to buy into this rally, and there may be millions of them, who were saying, I don't believe in this rally. They're reluctantly coming off the sidelines, and we're seeing we're seeing greed eventually replaces fear, the old girth trade, and that's what's happening to a lot of people saying, I'm going to buy on these dips. Last Monday and Tuesday, we were down 4%. And the market rebounded, and it's not stopping this morning. We saw the action overseas. So the liquidity, and for stock markets, liquidity is like oxygen. You get too much, you get too high, not enough, and you're going to die. And for the markets, this liquidity is getting them high. You're rhyming all the time and right now, Mark. Before we let you go, where do we put our money? Where, Where can we make some dough? Well, I think we've never abandoned tech. What we did with our tech trade was broaden out to financials, and that's proven to be a good trade. I think that you can also look at the permanent impacts of the shift from COVID. I know everything is spiking, travel is spiking and things like that. But this move to the suburbs, this this housing burst we're seeing, that's a permanent change. And when you buy a house, you need cars, you have families, you need two cars. And I think a good way to look at a long-term sustainable trend in that is to look at the auto parts. We like advanced auto. We like AutoZone. We've owned AutoZone. It's a little bit off its high right now. But I think when you look at the trend for people owning more cars and having to take two kids to school and not wanting to take mass transit, those cars are going to need replacements and parts. And that's a mega trend that I would suggest has legs. All right, good stock picks down, Mark, and you might like this. A couple months ago, given the used car sales, I said, get ready for 2021. It's going to be the summer of the traffic jam because everybody who bought those cars is going to be driving them. Mark Avalon, Potomac Wealth Advisors. Mark, a pleasure as always. Thank you. Good to be here. All right, we've got a lot more to do on this Tuesday. And when we come back, why Tesla is upping prices and cutting features again. Plus, Private equity on the move, ready to take a big software company private. We'll tell you who at your mystery chart. And later on, why Southwest and American Airlines are shelving plans to bring back the in-flight booze. A few of you ruined it for everybody. Very busy hours. Dow futures are up 178. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
All right, welcome back. Time now for your three big money movers of the morning. And stock number one, a name you know, Tesla. Elon Musk says prices are higher on some vehicles because of supply chain disruptions across the auto industry. Musk is responding to a Twitter user who says he doesn't like the direction the company is going in by raising prices, but also removing some features like lumbar support for the Model Y. Last month, Tesla raised prices on the Model Y and the Model 3 for the fifth time in recent months. Stock number two is Cloudera, your mystery chart. The Wall Street Journal reporting private equity firms KKR and Clayton Dubalier and Rice are close to take a deal. Take that cloud software company private. They are expected to pay 16 bucks a share or about a 24% premium to the closing price. Cloudera stock up 18% right now. And stock number three, is not a stock at all. It's the Renaissance IPO ETF, ticker IPO. Investors may no longer be falling over themselves to pour money into new offerings. New data from Dealogic shows the average first day pop on IPOs was, quote, only 18% in May. Still a big number, but down from more than 40% in January and February. That data, by the way, does not include SPACs. That market appears to have mostly dried up, at least for now. All right, on deck. It's happening again. Hackers going after and paralyzing one of the world's biggest meat suppliers. We're going to get you more details on that big story. Dow futures up 176. Looks like a good start to the trading month of June. And we're back right after this. Today's big number, $1.8 trillion. That's the projected deficit President Biden's budget would run for the next fiscal year. That's a drop of more than 40% from last year's record deficit. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Booze, snoring, and free samples. What do they have in common? Well, hopefully not a lot, but they are all in today's top trending stories. And Contessa Brewer is back to tell us why. Contessa, it sounds like a a bad Saturday night in the Sullivan household. (laughs) I'm going to tie these all together for you. Are you ready? First, American Airlines is joining Southwest, holding off resuming in-flight alcohol sales Following increasing reports of unruly travelers, uh oh, American had been scheduled to resume alcohol sales today on board, but now those will remain suspended until at least September. In a statement, Southwest said, based on a rise in passenger disruptions in flight, we've made the decision to reevaluate the restart of alcohol service on board with no specified date for resumption. According to the TSA, more than 1.9 million people took to the skies Friday of Memorial Day weekend. That's the most since the pandemic began. Fitbit is reportedly considering adding snoring detection to its smartwatches equipped with microphones. According to a report, the watches would listen to ambient noise while you're sleeping 
to include potential snoring. This is like divorce waiting to happen right here because it's just proof you actually do snore. And Costco's bringing back a pre-pandemic staple, free food samples. The company announced it's phasing in full sampling as early as this week after a 14-month hiatus. You can expect a few updated safety changes due to COVID, including the samples being prepped behind plexiglass, smaller batches, and one customer at a time. Fat chance. Because if you've ever gone to Costco or Sam's Club when they're handing out the free samples, you know what? It's like little kids playing soccer. It's a big mosquito swarm around the sample cart. You know what I'm saying? If you could combine all the stories, we could give, well, you can't, I guess, give out free samples of booze on a plane while no. handing out Fitbits to make sure that yeah. your significant other, because before, as opposed behavior. to the Fitbit, it's all about bad behavior. It was the elbow, it was the elbow to the head. It wasn't the Fitbit letting you know. It was like, knock it off. Yeah, I don't think, I don't even know if it's supposed to wake you up. It's just more like to prove that you're actually having disrupted sleep, which, how's that helpful? You know, like that's, that's not good. That's not good for me. But well, I don't, you, snore. don't don't you love how we soften soften everything? It's it's now an unruly passenger. Years ago it was drunken idiot. Now it's unruly. Pa- it sounds much softer. He was an unruly passenger. <laughs> it's true. Contessa Brewer, thank you very much. We'll see you in a few minutes. All right. Well, like any great movie, Americans love a comeback story. And guess what? Great movies maybe starting to come back and at the movies. Shh, Paramount's A Quiet Place. Part two, smashing pandemic era box office records, taking in 57 million in its four day opening weekend gross. Disney's Cruella pulling in an impressive 26 and a half million, despite it also being available to watch on Disney Plus. Joining us now to talk about what all this will mean going into summer as COVID fades, Bowtie Cinema COO and President of the National Association of Theater Owners of New York, Joseph Masher. Joseph, it's great to have you back on the program, and you've got a big smile and well-deserved after more than a year, people flooding back into theaters. What kind of summer can we expect at the movies? Because I've got to imagine there are a ton of really awesome movies that are just being waited to roll out because they just were not rolled out in the past year. Yeah, you're right. You know, in any studio executive's belief that a movie belongs on streaming, that model's been shattered this weekend with the grosses that you just reported. uh, We had an amazing, amazing weekend um, coming back into the theater. I think that, you know, during the shutdown, people have been locked in their homes and they really have missed that communal experience. So we're looking forward to big movies coming out. Yes, some of them will still be uh, the pandemic model release and will be day and date on streaming services. But, uh, you know, there are so many movies, including Fast 9, uh, coming up at the end of this month that will be exclusive in theaters. And as I said, you know, the profitability of a movie is theatrical exclusivity. And, you know, we've really proved it this weekend. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, isn't that part of the whole thing, which is kind of like retail? We, we talk about brick and mortar. Oh, brick and mortar is dead. Everyone's going to online order. Guess what? Online ordering is no fun because we want to get out. That's the point. Isn't the point of going to the movies, A, it's a giant screen. You got better sound, comfortable chairs. But the idea is also, Joseph, just to get out of the house. 
Yeah, exactly. And you can't get that experience at home. I mean, sitting in a room with strangers, even post pandemic, um, you know, is something you just can't replicate anyplace else. And you're all feeling the same emotions at the same time. You're scared while watching A Quiet Place. You're, you know, intrigued while watching Cruella. Uh, you know, this coming week, Conjuring is coming out, which will do very, very well in theaters um, in the Heights. I mean, that's going to be just phenomenal in two weeks um, that both will be available day and date on streaming services, unfortunately. But as I said, the studios are realizing that theatrical exclusivity is the way to go and they 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 know it and we're back and uh we're, we're not going anywhere so yeah how many movies have been done for a long time joseph but were not rolled out streaming they're just waiting to be rolled i can't even remember some of the titles but is there is there a giant backlog there is. Um, as I understand it, there are somewhere between 70 and 80 movies that weren't released during the shutdown that did not hit streaming services that are just waiting for theatrical releases. And a lot of these titles are small titles. They're they're very, very good movies. Uh, I saw one last night called Dream Horse that's playing in theaters. It's, it's, it's a great movie, and it was a great night going out. I think yeah, top. I think Top Gun two, right? I mean, are you are you ready for for Maverick? Like a sixty two year old fighter pilot, Joseph? On the yeah, big screen, I everybody's am. ready for that. I think that's the one that people have been really, really waiting for. But you know, our difficulty has been getting staff to come back to work. I mean, you know, during the shutdown, people oh. either found other jobs or, you know, uh, right now with unemployment, you know, they they can make more money on unemployment than they can coming back to work. So it's been a little bit difficult for us getting people back. But with about 75% of the nation's theaters opened right now, um, I think that, you know, hopefully unemployment will start uh, waning off and people will want to come back to work. There's going to be a lot of people working, the ones who are working, working double and triple shifts, seeing that at restaurants, retail, and so many other businesses across the country. Joseph Masher, either way, good news. The movies are back in the movies. Joseph Masher, have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You too. Yeah, that labor shortage story, folks, is just the news that keeps on giving. All right. Meantime, let's get a check on some of this morning's other headlines, including more on that terrible mass shooting in Miami over the weekend. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York now at the very latest. Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Yes, an urgent manhunt is underway in Miami for three dangerous gunmen. And we have images of those suspects. Police sharing this video of three shooters leaving an SUV with an assault with assault weapons. These are the men accused of shooting 23 people outside a concert hall and killing two of them. Investigators have made some progress. They say this Nissan Pathfinder that was pulled from a canal is the same one that was driven by the suspects. It had been reported stolen May 15th. Naomi Osaka has stunned the tennis world, withdrawing from the French Open, citing her mental health in a deeply personal message. The move comes after officials fined her $15,000 and threatened to suspend her over her refusal to do media interviews. And an asteroid the size of the Seattle Space Needle is expected to pass by Earth today. The massive object is what NASA is calling a close approach of a near-Earth object. The giant space rock known as 2021 KT-1 has been classified as a potentially hazardous object due to its size of about 600 feet. It'll whiz by Earth about 4.5 million miles away, and hopefully, Brian, This will be the only headline we'll have about that asteroid because it's going to be pretty bad news uh, if we do other stories on it, obviously. 
Yeah, yeah. No more giant asteroid whizzes by the Earth. You know, the planet, the only planet right now that we have kind of stories. Francis Rivera, yeah. thank you very much, and have a great day. You too. All right, thank you. Right ahead, tackling Iran tensions and the latest on the so-called Fragile Five. Halima Croft's key themes to watch in today's OPEC Plus meeting. All ahead as oil rises along with Dow futures. Stick around. Can stocks winning streaks roll on? Futures are surging on a Tuesday as the big indexes look to make it five higher months in a row. Can Iran's oil ambitions be contained? Halima Croft is here on what to expect from what could be a very important OPEC meeting. And it's happening again, this time with meat, not gas. Criminals hacking into the world's biggest meat supplier systems as operations are forced to shut down. It is Tuesday, June 1st, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, welcome or welcome back. I am Brian Sullivan. It's exactly 5.30 here on the East Coast. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday, and let's jump right in on this holiday-shortened week. And here's how things are setting up their day, and they're setting up pretty doggone nicely. We are seeing futures higher across the board. Dow futures up nearly 200. NASDAQ futures up 60 points right now. The momentum just rolls on. The Dow is now up for four months in a row and higher six of the past seven months. The S&P 500 also up four months in a row. Small caps, though, they're saying, you know what? Get out of the way, statistics. We're going to one-up you. The Russell 2000 up eight months in a row for the first time since an eight-month win streak ended all the way back in September of 1995. So if the Russell 2000 ends the month of June higher, that is nine in a row and would break a 30-year record. Wow, watch the small caps. Now, outside of equities doing well, crypto, eh, not so much. Another rough weekend there. We're seeing Bitcoin Back below 36,000, Ethereum's down 3% as well. The cryptos, everybody's kind of waiting for this bounce, which simply has not come. The question is, are they forming a triple bottom? Can we hold at these levels? Have to wait and see, but crypto's weak once again. On the other side of that, like stocks, is oil. Oil has absolutely been on fire. One of the surprise winners of the year. Well, a surprise to many anyway. Oil is higher once again. At 68 and change for WTI crude, above 70 for Brent. The XLE Energy ETF is now up six months in a row. That, my friends, the longest winning streak in 11 years. Wow. And talk about win streaks. Gold coming off its best month since July of 2020. Silver since December of last year, both soaring in May, about 8%. Big moves for the metals, and for oil. Well, speaking of oil, we have got a very important OPEC meeting happening in a few hours. Now, overall, the belief is the group is likely to stick to their current pace of gradually easing supply curves, throwing about 350,000 barrels per day back on the market as they try to balance out a recovery in demand against a possible push for an increase in output primarily from Iran. Let's talk more about how this may all shake out with our friend, 
Halima Croft, Global Head of Commodity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets and a CNBC contributor. Halima, how do you see it shaking out for OPEC today? The expectation is going into this meeting that you're likely to have incremental additions. So OPEC putting on as a group about 350,000 more barrels of production and then Saudi Arabia unilaterally adding back about 350,000. So bringing the total addition from this group to 700,000. Now the question mark is, do they do a bit more because the Iran talks did not produce the breakthrough that some had expected. And so the question is, are we looking at a bigger ad from OPEC plus? Does Saudi basically add more additional barrels or do they stick to doing about 700,000 collectively? That's what's gonna be decided today. The Russians are once again, apparently pushing for more barrels on the market. So all eyes are gonna be on what His Royal Highness Prince Abdelaziz bin Salman decides to do from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, but the Kuwaitis, I don't know if you saw this, the Kuwaiti oil minister, Mohammed Al-Faras, is on the tape a few minutes ago, kind of jumping the gun saying, oh, the global oil markets can sustain a gradual output. People don't, the ministers don't say these kinds of things unless they want the message out there. Is the message from Iran, Kuwait, and others, they want to be able to sell more oil. Well, I think the big debate is, I think we're going to obviously get more oil. The question just is, what's the volume? And what's so interesting now at these OPEC meetings is we get two announcements. We get the OPEC number and then we get the Saudi number. So I think that's going to be what's interesting. Do we get an incrementally higher number from OPEC, so more than 350,000? Does Saudi stick to 350,000 themselves? Do they add more? So it's not just one decision now, it's the combination of the decisions. You have some producers wanting to be a little more cautious because they say, yes, the U.S. looks great with you know, gasoline demand. Europe is reopening, but we have these problems in India with COVID, the third largest oil market for demand. Japan's looking a little bit shaky now with COVID as well. So the question just is, what is the incremental ad that we're going to see? And if we have the sort of steady as we go, you know, that Brent price will likely move higher again because it doesn't look like we're getting the immediate return of a million plus Iranian barrels. Mm. We think those barrels are still likely to come back sometime in the back half of the year, but they didn't get that diplomatic progress that would mean that the Iranian barrels are an imminent issue for the market. Listen. The Iranian barrels, Salima, as you know, as others know, are on the market to much extent, whether it's secret sales, they're transferring to other ships, turning off their GPS. It's not like Iran is not selling oil around the world. We know they are. The question is how much. They want to return to, let's call it the uh, visible or sort of semi-legal oil market under the U.S. sanctions. How much more additional barrels do you think Iran would or could put on the market? And assuming there is additional barrels, Lima, can increase demand. You know, everybody in America has a car now, like former Manhattan residents like you driving around. <laughs> can it withstand that, that, that supply increase? Well, as you're right, the Iranians have been putting more barrels onto the market. They've been shipping them off the teapot refineries in China that are more disconnected from the international financial system. But some would say, 
look at all the floating storage that has been built up. Like Iran is looking to place those barrels into other key markets in Europe, in places like Japan, the rest of Asia, and get better economics for those barrels. And so I do think when sanctions are lifted, we're likely to get this sort of initial big show of force from the Iranians that they are back. You would say potentially is there about a million extra barrels of exports they could bring on? I think that sounds about right. And if you look at the market right now, it should be able to absorb those barrels. So the question for OPEC is, if you're not going to be getting additional Iranian barrels right now, but probably sometime later in the year, do you need to add more yourself to the market? And the dynamics in Washington will be interesting as well. Are you getting messages from this administration that are worried about U.S. consumers that they want more barrels on the market to try to cool off prices? Halima Croft, RBC Capital Markets. I assume I will see you on that virtual call later today. Halima, thank you very much. Valuable insight, as always. All right, now to that developing story involving criminals that are now targeting the world's biggest meat processor. It's another major hack attack. And Contessa Brewer is back with the very latest on that. Contessa. Yeah, so Brian, Brazil's JBS says units in Australia and North America were hit over the weekend by what the company calls an organized cyber attack on its information systems. The attack forced the company to shut down its Australian operations yesterday. It's now working to resolve that issue, we're told. And the attack also reportedly halted processing at one of JBS's largest meatpacking plants in Canada. The company says the incident may delay certain transactions with customers and suppliers. This attack marks the latest by hackers targeting the commodities industry after the ransomware attack on the Colonial Pipeline three weeks ago that stopped the flow of fuel on the East Coast for several days. That, of course, resulted in shortages at gas stations and long lines for customers. It also comes as the meat industry recovers from the pandemic, where infections shut down plants and disrupted distribution. Those supply chain disruptions, along with high feed costs and increased demand, have driven up prices for wholesale meats and poultry. Recent data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis shows the price of beef and veal is at 3.3 percent from a year ago, while the price of pork is up 4.8 percent from last year. And now we're watching, of course, to see what impact the JBS shutdowns will have on meat prices, especially, Brian, if this disruption drags on for more than just a few days. All right. A big a big story that certainly we are watching. No doubt. Eamon Javers on that as well. Contessa Brewer, thank you very much. Big story there. All right. On deck, a long overdue push by financial firms to support black businesses on the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. We'll get more on that. But as we head to break, some of your other top stories. Three, not two. China announcing a major shift in its child limit policy to refresh its aging population. The government will raise its birth threshold to three kids per couple, not two. That after a census data showed a steep drop in birth rates. Shares of SoFi are set to begin trading on the NASDAQ today. Move comes after Friday's completed deal between SoFi and another Chamath Polyhapatia SPAC. And how would you like $1 million or a year of free groceries? Well, you take the money, right? But Kroger is offering customers, workers, and anyone else who gets the COVID vaccine the chance at those prizes and more, part of a collaboration with the White House to help get the U.S. toward more Americans being vaccinated. Dow Futures up 180, and we're back in a moment. 
All right, welcome back. Well, today marks 100 years since the Tulsa massacre and the demolition of what was once called Black Wall Street. And now there is a new push by financial firms to create and support black-owned business. Frank Collin joins us now live from Tulsa with more. Frank. Hey, good morning to you, Brian. Well, more than $1 billion has been pledged or donated by U.S. financial companies to create, support, or provide capital to black-owned businesses or address the economic wealth gap or other social and economic inequalities here in the United States. Now, the investment by J.P. Morgan Chase has been the largest so far in 2021, $350 billion, but certainly not the only one. Others going towards black women-owned businesses, uh, some going towards black-owned banks. Remember, black businesses were disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. At the height of the pandemic, 41% of them closed compared to just 17% of white-owned businesses. Operation Hope received a $20 million investment from Truist this year and last year received a $130 million investment from Shopify in order to partner up and create 1 million black businesses over the next decade. Founder and CEO John Hope Bryan says, in 96% of black businesses, the owner is the only employee. And these investments by U.S. financial companies, they have the potential to create larger uh, economic development in the broader economy. Those employees are paying their mortgages, paying for car notes, paying for school fees, paying for, their, uh, paying for gas at the gas station, going to restaurants. The ripple effect in the neighborhood is, uh, is obvious and relevant and significant. And the racial wealth gap is conservatively just over $11 trillion. And according to Duke University research, it could be even higher, up to about $13.5 trillion. McKinsey's also put out a lot of research about the impact of potentially closing the racial wealth gap. They say if, you, if, if the America can close it by 2028, it could increase U.S. GDP by 4 to 6%. Now, I want you to think about this, Brian, that per capita increase, if you look at it, even with 3% annual inflation, remember we saw 3% inflation back in April, even with 3% inflation, if we can close the racial wealth gap, that per capita increase by 2028 would have more spending power than all three rounds of stimulus. Back over to you. Wow, some big numbers there, Frank. So how much would supporting black businesses help close the racial wealth gap? Is there any way to measure that? Brian, great questions. It it has some controversy to it. So number one, obviously it would help. The question is how much. But right now you have to look at the situation with black businesses. If you look at the combined revenues of all black businesses before the pandemic, it was just about $270 billion. Well, Brian, if you look at Walmart's annual revenues in fiscal year 2020, that's about 540. So not only do black people need to support black businesses in order to close that racial wealth gap, I'm sorry, about 560. Uh, we'd have to create even more. And so that's why there's a lot of hope about these investments by U.S. financial companies in order to build more black businesses and generate more wealth and a cycle where that black dollar stays in the black community more often. That was one of the big things here about Greenwood is that the black dollars stay in this community over and over again and generate it more wealth. Frank Collin is out in Tulsa, Oklahoma on the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. Frank, we're glad you are. Certainly a lot of stories to be told from there. We can see the memorials behind you. We'll look forward to your reporting all day here on CNBC. Frank, thanks, buddy. Thank you, Brian.
All right, an important story there. Well, on deck, perhaps the biggest money reason to be bullish on stocks. It's a stat that you got to hear, and it's your morning RBI, and Jeff Saud is here to react, and a friendly nudge. Subscribe to our podcast. All that is future surge up one half of 1%. Nearly 200 points for the Dow. And we're back right after this. It is time now for your morning RBI. And today, let's get random but interesting about money. Because money is booming. Not cryptos or gold or whatever you want to consider money, but actual money. Because the amount of cash that is going into money market funds, basically savings accounts, is soaring. According to research firm EPFR, flows into funds that they track hit a one-year high recently. And the extra boost that has recently come has now pushed the amount of money that's gone into U.S. money market funds to more than $300 billion just this year. Let's say that again a little louder for the folks in the back. $300 billion has now been thrown into U.S. money market funds in 2021 in just five months. And look at that chart, okay? The amount of money going into boring old money funds is nearly double that that has gone into the next biggest group, and that is U.S. bonds. Global stocks are third, and U.S. stock inflows are actually just fourth on the list. EPFR notes this surge is partly due to, quote, epic levels of fiscal stimulus and their view that COVID may be basically winding down in a few months. So why do you care? Well, because at some point, that huge amount of cash maybe put to work doing something more than sitting in a money losing money market fund and whatever much of that it goes to could have some very nice upside ahead, especially if inflation eats the value of that money. Random and hopefully interesting. Well, let's find out if, if it is and where in that money may be headed if, if anywhere. I'm bringing our friend Jeff Sott, Chief Investment Strategist at Capital Wealth Planning and founder of Sought strategy. I thought you'd like that RBI, Jeff. I put it together yesterday thinking about you because, man, all that money just sitting around being eaten by inflation. Do you think it comes into the equity market at some point? Yeah, if, if past is, is prelude, Brian, the money will come in, uh, you know, somewhere around the top or peak in, in equity prices. That's the way it's always been. That's the way I think it'll be this time. Where is all that money coming from? I mean, is it just central banks? The amount of cash in the world is insane. Well, I think I think uh, you know the the American uh, consumer uh, is giddy with cash. They have more cash than they've had in a long, long, long time. Uh, and again, they're sticking it in a money market fund, which you know I, I guess is okay. Uh, I prefer stocks because I think we're in a secular bull market, and I think the secular bull market continues to play for the next few years. Yeah, for for how I was going to say, Jeff, I mean, you've been bullish, and you've been right, by the way. The markets have soared the last couple of years. <laughs> uh, realistically, I mean, what, 22 times forward earnings or whatever on the S&P 500? If you strip out tech, I understand it's a lot less, but if, if I had more hair, I might be Elvis. I mean, how long can this go on? Now, the, the typical secular bull markets uh, tend to last 15 to 20 years. You can look at the 1949 to 1966 affair or the 1982 to 2000 affair. That one lasted 18 years. 
Um, are there pullbacks? Yeah. In the 82 to 2000, uh, we had the 1987 crash, and a bunch of people turned bearish. Uh, I was not one of them, by the way. Uh, a bunch of people turned bearish, said we've entered a, a bear market. It wasn't true. It was just it was just a pullback, a big pullback, I might add, in an ongoing secular bull market that continued to trade higher. And again, you know, we're like 12 years into this thing. We ought to have at least another three, if not another 10 years left in it. Yeah, we're looking at a uh, five-year chart, and you can see this trend line. And by the way, one of your recent notes, you talk about the loss of a good friend. So. Our sympathies and apologies for the loss of a friend. No one likes to see somebody move on, but you, you, you use that as a reference to time and sort of you know how people view things in their life and the importance not only just of life, but also if you talk about the markets, why do people seem to love stocks at their peak and hate them at the bottom? I mean, if you were smart enough or brave enough to buy stocks in <laughs> 1977, you're probably, you know, sitting with your grandkids on a giant yacht right now. Why do we, how do we alter our thinking about the way we look at markets? That's just, uh, that's just the nature, the human nature uh, of, of uh, most markets, not just the stock market, but commodity markets, bond markets, etc. Um, you know, people, people hate them when they should be loving them when they're cheap, and they love them when they should be cautious uh, at the peak, and that's the way it's always been. I've been in this business 53 years, uh, and that's the way it's always been. And I've been looking at markets for 60 years, and that's just that's just the the human nature of the beast. And using that 53 years of experience, Jeff, what do you see right now? Any parts of the market you particularly love? Any parts you particularly hate? And your quick thoughts on crypto. Uh, you know, Peter Lynch taught me not to invest in things I don't understand, and I don't understand crypto. So I have not really delved into it. Uh, I like financials. I like technology. Um, I, really like, I really like financials here. They're, they're cheap, and my father used to tell me good things tend to happen to cheap stocks. And that's, that's what we do at Capital Wealth Planning. We look for cheap stocks. Uh, with dividends that have increased their dividend payments over the years, uh, and we buy them. And uh, strategically, we sell out-of-the-money-covered calls against not all of them, but, but partial positions of them. Uh, and it's, it's a real good income strategy for somebody that's my age. I'm 72 years old, and I'm looking for income, and that's what we do at Capital Wealth. When you say financials, quickly, you're talking about the biggest of the big banks? You're talking about more of the regional banks? Or you're talking about C, all the above? Yes, all of the above, including, including brokerage firms. Bro I, I left that out. D, all the above. Brokerage firms, small and big cap financials. Well liked by Jeff Sauton. 53 years of experience. And Jeff, we always appreciate you bringing it to CNBC. Thank you very much, buddy. We'll see you soon. You bet. All right, Jeff remains optimistic. A lot of experience there. All right, well, guess what? Futures indicating that optimism. Dow and S&P futures up about a half a percent. The Nasdaq, the same. You got oil on the rise as well. Cryptos flat to down. A lot more to do on this first trading day of the week. Welcome to June, by the way. We'll see you tomorrow right here. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.